Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We have been on air now for three years, and we're pleased to be the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs on the planet. And the show is brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing, and Management, a great organization. So if you don't have your um, AISMM accreditation, you should get it. Um, I've had AISMM after my name since 2002. It's opened a heap of doors for me, and it's been... um, all sorts of tools available, all sorts of books available and tapes and a whole range of things to help you be better at what you do. Now, if you're listening for the first time, this radio show is all about telling it the way it is and giving entrepreneurs the information that they need to be more successful. And we try to bring you up to date with what's happening in the business world every week. The show was born out of my need to help entrepreneurs to be successful. Um, my business, which is a business consulting business, is all about helping entrepreneurs be successful, and this show is the same. I've been an entrepreneur all my life, and um, believe me, there's lots of pitfalls, but they're far outweighed by the adrenaline rush. You know, some people are born to be entrepreneurs, born to take risks, Born to jump off the deep end and not have any water wings on. I've always believed in the motto that um, if you're not standing on the edge, you're taking up too much space. So, you know, it's not always good for relationships, but it's a hell of a lot of fun and uh, the opportunity to be creative and be a leader and all of the things that drive entrepreneurs is fantastic. So how do you know if you want to be an entrepreneur or not? You probably know that launching a company can be intimidating and it involves a hell of a lot of hard work. You know, perhaps you've always dreamed of opening your own shop or a consulting firm. Or maybe you just need a dramatic change in your life. You're sick of working for a bloody boss. So let me give you some signs that you may be seriously ready to start your own business. You wake up in the middle of the night, wow, I've got this fantastic bloody idea. I've spoken to a lot of entrepreneurs who um, have started their entrepreneur career like that. I've had a brainwave and first thing in the morning, you know, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start my own business. You know, you might have thought of a new app. You might have thought of all sorts of things. But it doesn't matter what the business is, you just need, and this is the hard part, to get off your ass and do it. I mean, thinking about it, hey, that's easy. Getting off your ass and doing it, that's something else. Maybe you're always thinking about all sorts of ideas and initiative. You look around everywhere you go and you find things that could be done a little bit better. So if you do... It's probably time to move on from the rat race. 
and do something to put these thoughts in motion. And there's absolutely no better outlet for all that than starting your own business. The third sign that you're ready to start your own business is that you're deeply passionate about something. Entrepreneurs and business owners are really passionate about what they do and will do everything possible to turn their vision into a product or a service for the rest of the world to enjoy. The fourth sign that you're ready to be an entrepreneur is that you're a problem solver and you'll try to figure out most problems on your own. Now may be the moment that you feel independent enough to go out there and do it. Entrepreneurs are always highly motivated. You don't always need anything at all to get you moving. I wake up in the morning and I'm going because I love it. I fly into the day and this sense of self-motivation will help you initiate and launch your business. The sixth time that you're ready to be an entrepreneur is a strong desire to help others by providing a certain product or a service or a facility. It's this desire to help people and help the world solve the problem that is the drive that has fueled many successful entrepreneurs. Often, an entrepreneur is just confident enough, or maybe egocentric enough, to believe that they can build a better company or a better mousetrap than anybody else on the planet. You know, I've met a lot of great entrepreneurs and business owners who were really egocentric and actually a real pain in the ass, but they thought they were special and they really got things done. The eighth sign that you could be a successful entrepreneur is that you always wanted to be your own boss. Now, if you want to be your own boss because you can take plenty of time off, you can please yourself, um, you don't like taking orders, you don't like being disciplined, well, don't become an entrepreneur. Because to be an entrepreneur, you've got to want to be your own boss, but not for those reasons. You've got to want to be your own boss because you can control your destiny, you can work 20 hours a day, and whatever work you put in helps you instead of helping someone else. You have to have a really incredible work ethic to be an entrepreneur. Most of the entrepreneurs in startups that I know work 12 to 15 hours a day, and often, Saturdays and Sundays, I usually work five or six hours every Saturday and every Sunday, in addition to 10 hours every other day. You know, you hate being bored to death by doing a job that you do the same thing every day. So I'm that, I'm that sort of person. I need to um, get out there and do things. If somebody tells me you can't do it, <laughs> red rag to a bull, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do it if I have to run through a bloody brick wall. The 11th sign that you should be an entrepreneur is a passionate desire and a, you're creative and you're a problem solver and you know, you've got this great idea that you come up with at 2 o'clock in the morning, you don't want it to go to waste. So if you're sitting back there thinking, if not now, when am I going to do it? I mean, it's easy to put stuff off. But if you're a born leader, 
that's not afraid of failure. You're a thil- thrill <laughs> seeker with street smarts. And you're ready to break free and kick the hell out of the world. Then go for it. Become an entrepreneur. It's a hell of a ride. Some of it's exhilarating. Some of it's terrifying. But I guarantee you, it's never boring. You, um, you really got to be careful if you're in a relationship or have a young family because it, it really is bloody tough and it takes its toll. But it's still worth it. I wouldn't trade being an entrepreneur for anything. So go and give it your best shot. If it fails, you can always go back to being a bloody boring bank teller. This week in the news, there's more evidence that wearables markets becoming very, very hot and very, very competitive. Apple's reportedly just hired an executive from Tag Hauer in Switzerland to help work on its iWatch. It's also snatched up talent in the medical health fields in recent months. And that's further hints, I guess, that um, a wearable device is in its pipeline. A few months ago, um, Apple hired experts in blood monitoring, including Nancy Doherty from health startup Sano Intelligence. So the company's expected, although, you know, um, Apple is notorious for people expecting stuff and it not happening, but they're expected to unveil the iWatch in October, probably at the same time it releases its new iPads. So that should be something to look forward to. Google announced this week that it's banning the promotion of pornography sites on its ad network. I was going to say something then, but I decided against it. The search giant announced the policy change in an email, which was sent to the companies that would be in violation of the new policy. The email read, beginning in the coming weeks, we'll no longer accept ads that promote graphic depictions of sexual acts including but not limited to hardcore pornography, graphic sexual acts, including masturbation, genital, anal, and oral sexual activity. Not hard to work them out. There's no denying that porn and sex-related searches are among the most common on Google search engine. According to um, the AdWords keyword planner, searches for the words porn, sex, porno, and free porn reached... What sort of a number do you reckon? How many in a month? 351 million searches in a month. It's 11 million searches a day <laughs> for porn. Bloody hell. Now, the next question is whether Google will expand this to um, block the promotion of adult sites by applying this to a search engine. My, I suspect that it Probably will. Now, the world, as we know, is absolutely awash with data. And the advent of smartphone has led to much more internet-based activity, as well as a lot more opportunities to collect location data. The consumer stampede into social media means that the tastes, preferences and frustrations of Billions of people are shared online. The amount of available data is just staggering. You know, Facebook ingests 
approximately 500 times more data each day than the New York Stock Exchange. Woo. Twitter is storing at least 12 times more data each day than New York Stock Exchange. And CIBC, that's that Canadian bank, predicts that information generation growth will increase 50 times in the next 10 years. Wow. So audience targeting and personalised predictive marketing using all this social data is expected to become one of the biggest areas in the future. 61% of data professionals say that big data will overhaul marketing for the better. Yet most companies are still underusing data. 71% of chief marketing officers around the globe, so their organisation is unprepared to deal with the explosion of big data over the next few years. This is an IBM study. They cited it as their top challenge ahead of device fragmentation and shifting demographics. And an article I read during the week also demonstrated the power of big data. I love this. This is great. A pop-up bus service. You know these pop-up stores that happen all over the place? Well, this is a pop-up bus service. And they plot their routes by data mining and passenger information that they get from social media. And it's set to revolutionise public transport in major cities all around the world. The bus service can create routes on demand and meet real-time needs of users. You know, it could be the answer to um, getting people out of cars and onto buses. I bloody well doubt it, but it could be. You'd probably get rid of cabs, make, maybe make life a little harder for Uber. The company goes into cities and looks at millions and millions of data points to understand how the city moves, and then they deploy their shuttle network to directly connect people, even if there's not a route there. The company's called Bridge, B-R-I-D-J, and they use public data, including census information and social media platforms, to predict where users live, work, and travel. They crunch huge amounts of data to find out where the pain points are around the city at any given time and then do pop-up transportation to move people. There's a stack of people on the corner of Hollywood and Vine. Go and pick them up, and they're all going to the valley. It can instantly adjust routes depending on events that may be on in the city on any particular day or night. It's a variation of the smartphone, car apps, you know, things like Uber and Lyft. It's a bloody great idea. That would have been handy last night. I went to Staples Centre. Unbelievable. Um, great show. And uh, I might tell you about it a bit later. An in-depth McKinsey study, study shows that CEOs simply don't trust marketers. 20 years ago, almost every board contained at least one marketer. Not anymore. These days, CEOs keep marketers away as far as possible. A recent Smart Insights survey of 40,000 marketers saw 69% admitting there is no digital marketing strategy in their current role. The McKinsey study showed that only 46% have a content marketing strategy. That is pathetic. It appears that marketers are quick to dive into solutions, new techniques, tactics and channels, but marketers lack the overarching strategic thinking that's necessary for success. 
In a recent survey by the Fournays Group in London, 73% of CEOs stated that marketers lack business credibility and the ability to generate sufficient growth. 80% of CEOs simply do not trust marketers at all. And 91% of those do trust CIOs and CFOs. They talk the same language for a start, it's all financial stuff instead of the gobbledygook that marketers talk about. Um, There's quite a number of disconnects, but the three primary ones are, firstly, marketers do not take responsibility for the very evident disconnect with senior executives who are primarily money people. Most marketers are arrogant enough to think that the ultimate decision makers do not understand marketing in our organisation, and we'd be much better off if the board understood marketing. Well, that attitude's got to change because your job might depend on it. Marketers need to cut down on the distraction, the hoopla and the bullshit. We now have a totally new marketing environment and a very connected consumer and both are evolving on a daily basis. They don't fall for that stuff anymore. Today, it's all about the consumer. Instead of focusing on the next bright, shiny solution, marketers need to focus on metrics This new era has brought with it a highly sophisticated ability to measure absolutely every marketing action. Marketers are lazy. So where are the visionaries? Where's the imagination and the innovation? Every marketer should wake up every morning and look at what startups are doing. Startups are cool. Startups market themselves really well and then use use all the new stuff to do it, all the social media, all the metrics. The average marketing director does not have a clue. So next week, um, I think I'll talk about the seven things that marketers need to do to change this situation. But unless you're prepared, if you're a marketer, unless you're prepared to make the commitment, show persistence, really focus and give it plenty of time, you probably should get up next weekend morning, get the classifieds, go online, look at the classifieds and get yourself a new job because you probably won't keep the one you got. You're listening to the Bob Pitchard Radio Show. We're brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management and we're here to assist entrepreneurs to become more successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer you on air or email you directly. After the break, I'm going to be talking with a great girl. Had a long chat with her yesterday, Hannah Abeza, and she's the director of marketing at Uberflip. And she's just metrics driven. She is all about creating a um, exceptional brand experience. She is cool. It's a really good interview. And if you don't know much about how to use social media, she will help you. She's terrific. She's a great speaker. And she's a contributor to the Huffington Post, Marketing Profs, Content Marketing Institute, and other industry publications. You'll find out why she's so good immediately after this break. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. We're brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management. And I will be back with Hannah in just a moment. you want the world to know you're a force to be reckoned with? If so, you must join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management, America's foremost accreditation institute. You'll be amazed at how AISMM can open doors that you can't. 
Increase your prestige and influence. Add the letters AISMM after your name. Apply now. Go to AISMM.org. Again, that's AISMM.org. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And we're brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management. And this is a segment of the show where we, we talk to people who are taking initiatives that can help entrepreneurs to be more successful now this segment it's not just about helping our guests to promote their business which of course is important but we really try to ask questions that will provide answers that will benefit all of us we try to find out what it is that makes successful people tick what's made them successful and what we can take away from their experience that will make our journey a little bit less challenging. It's bloody hard to be successful. Really is. You've really got to work at it. And no point making mistakes that other people have made. You want to try and sail through as smoothly as possible because there's lots of icebergs sitting out there waiting for us. And this program's all about saluting and assisting entrepreneurs. Doesn't matter what their endeavour. Doesn't matter whether they're in, in tech or whether they've opened a um, dry cleaning store if you're an entrepreneur we want to support you and we want to help you today's entrepreneur is i believe a great idea and uh, can really help a lot of businesses my guest hannah abaza is a director of marketing at uberflip where she combines a metrics driven approach with an unwavering commitment to creating an exceptional brand experience Hannah's got a knack for communicating inspired tech solutions to mainstream audiences. And with over a decade of experience in digital marketing, this bird gets results. She's an energetic speaker and a contributor to Huffington Post, my favourite publication. Can't live, the, can't live through my day without going to Huffington Post first. Marketing profs. Content Marketing Institute and other industry publications. You can find her on Google Plus or follow her Twitter at Hannah Abaza. That's H-A-N-A-A-B-A-Z-A. I've never seen so many A's in a thing in my life. One, two, four. 
four A's. Hi, Hannah. How are you? Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thanks for having me, Bob. And uh, yes, there are definitely a lot of A's in my name. There are a lot of A's. So how are you? What um, what are you up to? Uh, not not too much right this second. Um, excited for for our conversation. I always have a lot of fun talking about my favorite subject, marketing. Um, and other than that, we're uh, we're making things happen up here in Toronto. So how long have how long have you been a marketer? Oh, um, I almost want to say since I was a little kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, uh, you know, arguably my first foray into entrepreneurship itself was, you know, a lemonade stand, and that was probably the first stand that the first time that I flexed my marketing muscles. Um, but I think sort of throughout my career, I've had roles sort of managing operations, and um, you know, I founded my own company, and uh, throughout all of those roles, uh, really, it came down to um, me always kind of taking on that sort of marketing side of things. And, and when I say marketing, I'm kind of talking about the full end of the spectrum. So everything from sort of initial product development all the way through to, um, you know, customer engagement and um, messaging and, and branding on the on the other side of the spectrum. So um, get to do that here at Uberflip, which is a ton of fun because, you know, we're not only marketing ourselves, but we're marketing to marketers, which is uh, yeah. one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. So... Why um you you had your own business mm-hmm. and why did you start your own business? But you were you working for somebody before that, or did you go straight into having your own? Forgetting the lemonade stand just for a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, um, for sure. So before um, before I had started my own business, I was actually this is going to sound a little bit random, but I was running a, a chain of martial arts studios. Um, so you know, I was sort of dealing with the general operations around that, and I was also teaching, um, which was a, a big part of my life. And um, as I was sort of doing that, that was kind of the era of you know taking things from um, you know solely offline to bringing them in online. So at that point social media was just becoming sort of a, a really integral part of marketing. Um, you know, bricks and mortar businesses were starting to kind of dip a toe into the online world. Um, and I kind of took that franchise and pulled it into, into the online world, into the digital world. And from there, I fell in love and kind of got sucked into it. So, you know, did some consulting and then, uh, you know, ended up actually um, starting my own, my own business in the, in the product um, in the social gifting space. Right. which is what I was doing for a little while, um, which is very tech-heavy. Um, and, uh, you know, that eventually led me here to the team at Uberflip, which, you know, it's all, all about marketing. And, you know, when when I look at the team, you know, everybody everybody really sort of appreciates that philosophy and comes into that philosophy. And when we say marketing, we're really talking about, you know, the, the grassroots kind where we really want to connect with people and understand um, people's pain points and really sort of have a, a really good dialogue with them. One of, one of the things that I hear entrepreneurs, particularly ones that um, didn't sort of pop out of the womb and instantly be able to use all this um, new fangled technology, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is that they don't get it. It, it seems daunting to them. You know, they're, they're entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. They've they've done the traditional marketing, but when it comes mm-hmm. to um, all of the various new, particularly social media, they look at it and they go, "Oh God, I can't do that." What can anybody, you know, can anybody be great at, you know, you're using your Facebooks and your Twitter and and your 
Pinterests and all of those things. Uh, can anybody be great at that? I mean, how hard is it to sort of get a grasp on it? So it's, it is definitely daunting um, if you've never dipped your toe in it, but um, the reality is it's actually quite easy to learn. Um, now, can anybody be great at it is a little bit of a different question. Yeah. I mean, different people sure. have different strengths. And when you're looking at social media in general, um, it's really less about the technology and it's more about finding the right voice and um, communicating what you would in real life to somebody via different channels. And that's, that's really the way I like to explain it. And when it comes to things like, you know, word of mouth. Um, a lot of, especially small, medium-sized businesses, really rely on word of mouth. And that actually translates really well on social media. So if you have a really robust, engaged community around your business, regardless of what it might be, um, that can actually really translate really well online. And, you know, think of me, thinking of it as more digital word of mouth than, you know, an actual face-to-face word of mouth is, is a good way to do it. Um, but it, it is easy to learn. Um, and the reality is it's actually never been easier to get started with a lot of this stuff. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the secret to any business, and I don't care what business you, you, you're you in, if you're not getting 80% of your business through word of mouth and through repeat business, you are probably going to fail. So getting great word of mouth is critical and it's it's by far the cheapest way of communicating you know if you if you're going to rely on advertising or doesn't matter what vehicle you're using um it's expensive and it's difficult to communicate and you don't build a relationship where word of mouth um you know third party endorsement is going to get you more business and make you more money than almost anything else so which which is the best if you're just a you're a person and you're an entrepreneur, you've got a small business, doesn't matter what, mm-hmm. what the business is, what is mm-hmm. the most effective um, social media to use? Well, you know, that really depends, um, and you're probably going to hear this, this from me a lot, is it depends. Um, I think the first thing that you really need to determine is, um, you know, who's your who's your customer base and where do they live online? So, you know, depending on whether your business is focused on, let's say it's focused on the end consumer, let's say you're selling, sure. um, you know, candles or okay. something along those lines. Yeah. Um, you know, in that case, you're selling to the end consumer, so, you know, something like Facebook might actually work really well um, if you can slice and dice the demographic and you know that most of your customers are women between the ages of 25 and 45 um, you can do some great targeting on Facebook for your social media um, but you know looking at it from the other perspective let's say your company is selling to other businesses then LinkedIn might be another way to go so really defining the social media channel that you want to go with comes down to where are people um, living Another great example is, you know, if you're in, you know, the wedding industry, where do you want to be? Well, chances are you want to be on Pinterest because <laughs> yeah, all of that Pinterest. kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so, it really when, needs you, to, so when, yeah. Would you, when would you use Pinterest? You would use Pinterest if you have a product um, or a service that's very visual in nature. So Pinterest works really well for, you know, like I said, if you're in the wedding industry, if you're in jewelry, uh, women's fashion, if you're um, in cooking, actually, it works really well, or food, or, you know, if you're running a gourmet food shop, Pinterest is great for that because you can really put some nice, juicy images up there. Um, With Pinterest, it's all about the imagery. And actually, you know, with content in general, everything's really really moving in that direction, which is sort of part of what we do here is very visual, very, um, very, uh, you know, get trying to suck people in by that imagery as opposed to big blocks of text, which is what we used to see online a lot and still do to a degree. 
Well, how, how do you... You know, I'm a bit of an old-fashioned marketer. I'm, I mean, I, I'm sounding like a duel, but I do understand this stuff. Um, but if... Um, working on the basis that we assume that only about 40% of the people are visual and, you know, let's say 40% are visual, 40% are auditory and 20% are kinesthetic. Now, that's not quite right, but mm-hmm. let's let's just assume that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we look at the fact that video um, is dominating marketing online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, is that only appealing to the visual section of the community or is that how, how does that cross over into kinesthetic and auditory audiences yeah I think I think ideally you've got a, a really good mix happening um, so the great part with photos is that they're quick they're easy you can you can communicate a message just by somebody quickly looking at it another great medium for photos besides Pinterest is Instagram yeah. um, and you know that works really well for a variety of companies that have actually been using it to build an audience um, you know one company that uses it really well is Random House which is a publisher sure. yep. um, another company that uses it really well is uh, a company called Quest Nutrition um, and what they do is they'll post um, photos of their products, which are essentially healthy, you know, protein bars, that kind of stuff. But then they post these short little clips of these recipes that you can do with them. Um, so really combining the visual, which is more, you know, quick. I have two seconds to look at my Instagram feed and see what's happening versus a video, which is maybe more instructional yeah. um, or maybe more informational um, and has that a little bit more of a value add. Each has a time and a place. So, you know, for example, if I'm looking at a, you know, if I find a video that, you know, I might be interested in, but I don't have time to, you know, watch it, then a photo in that case might have been better for me and maybe a video I will come back to down the road. So um, it's not really about just one medium. It's really about finding that ideal mix for your audience, especially online. And I know part of what we do is um, we'll pull in, we'll help people actually pull in the content that they need um, and mix and match their content. So, you know, by creating a content hub on Uberflip, you can actually do just that. And what we found is for ourselves, we actually do that in our own marketing efforts. It's really interesting to see which people gravitate towards the photos and which people gravitate towards the videos. And then you can actually start creating content around that. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, How can marketers assure... uh, ensure that their campaigns are effective? Well, that really comes down to measurement. Um, and I mean, we have a we have a philosophy here. It's all about testing. <laughs> um, yeah. So anytime we launch a campaign, um, you know, generally speaking, if it's if it's going to be one that we're going to look at spending money on down the road, we'll usually test it on a smaller scale. Um, you know, if it's more sort of an organic campaign, more around content marketing, um, then you know that's something we might try, but make sure that we have all of the right tools in place to measure and test what's effective. Um, if you you are sort of using the spray and pray method, um, which is yeah. what we like to call it. Um, you're <laughs> basically, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're shooting blanks and you have no idea what's eventually going to move the needle when it comes to bottom line because at the end of the day, regardless of what type of marketing we're talking about, there's an end goal and usually that goal is to drive business growth um, and without without the proper measurement tools, you're just not going to understand how to do that in the future. Yeah, you can't manage what you can't measure. Exactly. It's true. So, what um, what pitfalls do do most marketers need to avoid? I mean, 
most marketers, I find most marketers are lazy. And <laughs> I went on a tirade a little while ago, um, yeah. probably a couple of years ago now, saying, you know, marketers used to be a key staple of boards of directors. And now yeah. you can look at every board of directors across America. There's not a marketer in sight. And it's their own fault because we, um, we were out there talking about... Um, tarps and all sorts of stuff that you know the the real community was talking about how do we make more money and we were we were looking at audiences and don't measure advertising mm-hmm. you know the second ad in a television break's got no audience whatsoever and yet we still pay yeah. you know marketers still pay ridiculous amounts of money for second ads and breaks which is just ridiculous so what mm-hmm. what do what pitfalls do marketers need to avoid today in this new technology environment? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of it um, comes back to what we were talking about around um, uh, metrics and on a broader scale. I think it's really about accountability. Um, and, you know, it, I actually came across a stat not too long ago. I can, I can shoot over the link to you if, if you'd like. But um, basically, it, essentially, it says that 73% of, you know, CEOs are stating that marketers lack the business credibility to generate sufficient growth. And 90% um, just, or sorry, 80% just don't trust their marketers. Um, and what that really comes down to is that many marketers are just not delivering the data to support their strategies moving forward. Um, and, you know, on a tactical level, that means having the right measurement tools in place. But on a broader scale, it also means understanding your customer um, in a much deeper way than people have before Um, and you know I think I think in previous years um, and and even now a lot of sort of traditional marketers might take this approach as well is you know we're just going to do what we think works but the reality is it you have doesn't. no idea what's going to work. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> exactly, right. exactly. And I mean, I'm surprised to this day. I'm surprised when we launch, you know, test campaigns. Um, you know, I can I can guess, but you know, even me, I'm right maybe like sixty percent of the time. And you know, there's usually like a big margin of error between you know what I think the outcome will be and what the outcome actually is. So, um, you know, really talking to your customer, understanding your customer, and then from that point, building out a strategy that actually takes into account um, the historical metrics and where you think you're going to be going. Having that underlayer of metrics and measurement tools in order to be able to really understand it. And then at the end of the day, being accountable to those. So giving your, you know, the C-suite, if you're in a bigger company or even if you're in a smaller company and, you know, you you have the owner maybe as your direct report, um, having that visibility into why those decisions were made, how they performed, is really going to go a long way towards showing accountability on the marketing side and hopefully increasing that sort of trust between marketers and, you know, the CEOs and the CIOs and the CFOs. I would would love to get that link, incidentally. But, you know, I think it's true. I think that the average marketer out there... um, and particularly somebody who's been in the industry a long time and things are changing so quickly. And if you mm-hmm. are not sort of naturally inclined to be able to pick up a new gadget and use it instantly, it's mm-hmm. daunting. So how does, if you're, you're a marketer in a, marketer in a company, 80% of your CEOs don't trust you, how mm-hmm. do you, where do you start with metrics? I mean, what are the best metrics to track and... What's the best way to do it? I mean, where do you even start? 
Yeah, it is. Um, it is a daunting thing, especially if you're not doing anything right now. Yeah. Um, so I think so. You kind of two putting that question into two buckets. So um, what are the best metrics to track? Well, that's going to really come down to what is your end goal, right? right. Um, and also what um, what type of marketing are you measuring? So, you know, for example, a big part of our strategy is content marketing. So when we take a look at what metrics to track around the content that we're producing, we really put that into, into two categories. First is around, um, you know, engagement metrics. So right. do people like the content that we're producing? Um, what are the social shares like? You know, how many pages does it get? How? What's the time on site like? How many pages per visit? Are they sticking around a little bit longer? So, you know, on that side of the coin, we really understand whether or not, you know, our content is resonating with people. Um, and then on the other side of the coin, we're also looking at, is it moving the needle? So did this piece of content actually generate a lead for us? Did it generate a customer for us? Um, did it actually add to the bottom line? So, you know, that's one example of, you know, when we're measuring our content marketing, those are the different metrics that we look at. But when you take those same metrics, they don't necessarily translate across the board. So, you know, a moment ago I mentioned, you know, when looking at content marketing, looking at engagement metrics like time on site or um, pages per visit. Yep. Now, let's say I take those same two metrics and I apply them to, you know, the main site of, you know, just my sales site. So the main site of my web page that, you know, people go to to sign up for my product. Well, in that scenario, if time on site is really, really long, that might actually be a bad thing. Whereas, you know, when, it, when you're looking at it in the context of content marketing, it's a good thing. If they're getting to my sales site and they're spending a ton of time there, then chances are they can't actually find what they need or they're not necessarily convinced once they get there to actually sign up for the product or purchase the product or whatever the end goal might be. So um, you really need to sort of take each stream of your marketing strategy and the metrics that are applied to each stream are a little bit different depending on the end goal there. So you, um, you, does that make sense? Yeah, you so say you you would, um, if you're getting plenty of stickiness at, at the telling people about the product, and then it goes mm-hmm. to the sales, um, and that metric's not working. Yeah. That's then you know where you've got your hole, right? Yeah. So, you know, your content marketing might be great because lots of people are sticking around there and they're sharing yeah. it, but then when they get to your sales website, the metric might still be the same, so it might still be high in terms of how many people stay on that page, but yeah. really, not people shouldn't hang out there for 10 minutes. They should just convert, <laughs> and that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so that's really that really comes down to understanding um, what the purpose of every particular channel um, that you have online is, and then defining what the success metric is for each channel. So, you know, if you're content marketing in order to generate leads, leads, the priority, the main metric that you're looking at is how many leads am I generating through my content. If your, you know, purpose of your sales site is to get somebody to purchase a product, you know, the key metric you're looking at is who is, how many people are purchasing the product, and then you backtrack from there. So, how many people are purchasing the product? Well, how many people out of all of the visitors? So, what's my conversion rate? And then, once you know that, then you can actually take a look at the actual funnel. So, when they get there, what are they doing? Where are they clicking? And then you can try and find some holes around where people are dropping off on your site. And there's a lot of really great tools to do that. Um, You know, depending on what stage you are as a business, you might look at something like a marketing automation tool. Um, There's a lot of really great ones out there. Um, If you're a smaller business, likely something like HubSpot 
or infusion soft would be great for you. Um, if you're kind of mid-market and a little bit bigger, something like a Marketo might work really well for you. So it uh, really sort of depends on what stage you're at. But, you know, that's kind of the next layer. Right. of your metrics, but everybody should have the basics. So everybody should have Google Analytics installed. Um, you know, everybody should be measuring their social metrics um, by using something like Hootsuite or, you know, something similar. Um, sure. But, you know, as you're building out your channels, put those in place. So, so how, do you, how do you calculate the ROI on your content marketing? So ROI on content marketing is really just like calculating ROI on anything else. You want to take your um, how much cost? you're spending on your yeah. content. Yeah, so, and, and I mean, for content marketing, that could include a variety of things, right? So, different companies are really going to structure their content team a little bit differently. So, people will bring somebody in-house, in which case, you know, their salary is going to have to be included in the expense. Other people sure. are going to outsource to external writers. So, you might be including, you know, on the on the expense side, you might be including personnel, content, you might be including any um, spend that you have for distributing your content. So, maybe you're doing like a promoted Twitter campaign, um, and then also taking into account any tools um, that you might be using and paying for, like, you know, specific software or content marketing platforms, um, you know, like us here at Uberflip. And then you want to, you know, figure out the impact. So, you know, great, so you've been content marketing for a while. What is the impact on your bottom line? And at the end of the day, this is the trickiest part to, ma- to really um, measure is how many dollars are you actually getting from your content? And that just comes down from, you know, being able to drill down in terms of attribution. So, you know, these are the content pieces that I published that resulted in this many leads, this many of them converted to customers. Or, you know, this is the content that created, this this many people purchased a product. So the ROI calculation doesn't really change. Um, The inputs do change a little bit. The, um, let's just talk for a minute about Uberflip. I I love it. I think it's it's great. And <laughs> Thank you. So you you take everybody's content information mm-hmm. and you create a hub, um, which enables people to be able to readily access whatever it is they want to access on this hub. So just give me the give me the um, elevator pitch, just just so that our listeners. Um, Understand Uber Flip a bit better. Um, just give me, yeah. just give me the the um, elevator pitch on. You just met me in an elevator. We're going up thirty two floors. <laughs> go, go, girl. Perfect. Awesome. So um, basically, what we do is we help marketers aggregate all of their content, whether it's from social media, blogs, video, etc., into one beautifully designed interface that's responsive. On the back end of that, we give you the tools to actually measure how well that content is performing. So you get the front end without any IT, so you can set it up yourself as a marketer. You don't have to find a developer to do it. Um, and on the back end, you really understand if that, if that content is working for you. That's very good. The mm-hmm. no IT part is usually what people love. <laughs> yeah, and it's not expensive, is it? No, it's not. I mean, you can really get started um, for as low as fifty dollars a month if you're a if you're a small, medium sized business. Um, and then, you know, moving forward, we have some you know larger, even enterprise clients. So the cost can go all the way up to sort of a custom version of it sure. um, if you're looking at a bigger company. So I I come to you. I'm a small business, and I come to you and I say, okay, I, I love this idea. Build me a hub. So mm-hmm. how long does that take? 
you can build your hub, um, and, and to be to be totally honest, you would be doing this, you know, yourself. There's a self-serve right. option. You can go online, sign up for a free trial, do it yourself. You can have a hub up and running within 20 minutes. Um, it's really just a matter of wow. connecting your social media channels and really playing around and customizing the branding side of it. And honestly, the part that people um, usually get stuck is, oh, which background image do I put in? <laughs> or, you know, okay. do I have a clean version of my logo to put in here? Um, which, you know, is all stuff that gets resolved fairly quickly. But, you know, 20 minutes, you're up and running. You've got a great um, hub for all of your content. A lot of companies like using them for uh, resource sections. So um, I don't know when the last time you've been to a resource section on a, on a website. Um, B2B companies are particularly guilty of this. Their resource section is usually pretty terrible. Um, you get yeah. there and there are these outdated white papers and videos and they're not really easy to navigate and you can't find anything. So uh, a lot of companies are really using hubs for their, to replace that resource section and make it a little bit more lively and engaging for people. That's great. Well, I really appreciate your time. I, it's, um, it's interesting because I know that most of the entrepreneurs, well, most of the sorry, not entrepreneurs, but most of the marketing people that I speak to just look mm -hmm. at technology today and go, oh, my God, where do I start? What do I do? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where to start, so I won't start at all. And that's, that is the kiss of death today, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. And I mean, as a marketer, I truly believe you have to be genuinely curious about everything moving forward. And, and I mean, not just a marketer, as a person in general. Um, I think just having that open-mindedness and that curiosity to dive into something new like that would yeah. be really serve you well moving forward. I look forward to getting that link because I'm, I'm going to talk about that. It's, it's one of my favorite bandwagon things to get on how useless being a, <laughs> having been a marketer all my life um, yeah I think what's happened to us is tragic yeah <sighs> no I 100% agree I'll definitely see you that link once we're done <laughs> thank you well Hannah thanks very very much for being on the Bob Pritchard radio show I do appreciate thanks it for having very me. much it was very interesting now if you'd like to learn more about Uberflip you B-E-R-F-L-I-P go to uberflip.com and you can follow Hannah I'm just looking for a Twitter that's Hannah Abaza H-A-N-A-A-B-A-Z-A okay I've, I'm Australian and I've, I've been living in America for 27 years and my A's and I's and E's and O's and all sound the same <laughs> to, American, <laughs> to an American ear. So it's H-A-N-A-A-B-A-Z-A. -A -A -A. Thank you very much for being on the show. This is Bob Pritchard, and you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management, and I'll be back with you after this short break. The American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management is one of the leading accreditation institutes in the world. Do you have the letters AISMM after your name? Do you have the AISMM accreditation certificate on your wall for your clients and colleagues to envy? Do you have the AISMM membership pin on your lapel? AISMM helps you do business. Join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management now. Go to AISMM.org. That's AISMM.org.
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard. This is a straight talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show brought to you by American Institute for Sales, Marketing, and Management on the Voice America Business Network. Um, what I was going to say earlier was I went to well, Staples Center last night and saw Cindy Lauper, who opened the show, who was sensational. I hadn't actually seen her before. She was fantastic. Got a standing ovation from 20,000 people. It was unbelievable. And uh, I thought, it cannot get any better than this. And then Sure came on. And believe me, it did. People screamed and yelled when she finished. It was thunderous for about five minutes. It, she was sensational. And uh, I thought, you know, how good can an old chook be? She was <laughs> just brilliant. Anyway, so if um, they come to a town near you anytime soon, make sure you go. It's well worth it. The reason this email segment is so popular is that irrespective of where you are in the world, um, no matter how big your business is or no matter what you do, we all have the same issues and the same challenges. It doesn't matter whether you're in retail, you're a plumber or a lawyer or running a dry cleaner. So the information that I give may be of benefit to you. My first email today is from Ahmad Twan, I think I've said that right, of Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Welcome to everybody who's listening to us in Malaysia. And um, Ahmed writes, Dear Bob, I really enjoy your show. The major issues that small businesses face in Malaysia are the high level of bureaucracy in government agencies, which hinders efficient business development. Secondly, it's extremely difficult to obtain funds for your business. And there's also a lack of professional and skilled workers, and the ones that are available are costly. The high levels of international competition due to globalisation and rapidly developing new competitors, mainly from China and India. And there's also limited access to better technology and information and communication technologies. Bob, what are your suggestions? Well, hmm, Ahmed, you know, the rapidly changing business environment is affecting everybody on the planet. Everything's changing and it's changing quicker and quicker and quicker. And all businesses, no matter where you are on the planet, have to adapt very quickly to new challenges and to competition. And uh, this does present particular problems for small business, given their small size and their limited resources. And small businesses are increasingly, again, no matter where you are in the world, um, facing competition not only from local companies from, but from foreign companies. But the big guys always make opportunities for the small guys because they're less nimble. They can't move as fast and they can't pivot where smaller companies can. So that's actually not a disadvantage. I don't think it's an advantage. Now, reliance on domestic markets for business growth works for some companies, but for most companies, it doesn't work anymore. You've got to go outside your own little environment. So that's common around the world. And, you know, the conditions, Ahmed, that you're describing are pretty much common whether you're in Malaysia, the United States or any place else. Government red tape is a pain in the ass all over the world. 
You know, some of it's necessary, but much of it's not. But it's a problem everywhere. But domestically, all of your competitors are all operating within the same red tape. And presumably any foreign companies that come in are operating under the same red tape. So I can't see how that is actually a disadvantage. With regard to raising funds, it is extremely difficult everywhere in the world, no matter where you are, to raise funds. I mean, we raise funds for clients constantly um, and it takes a lot of time, a lot of patience, fantastic materials, that's the key, great materials, a great board of directors that have all got a great experience in the area in which you operate and it's not easy. you just got to keep knocking on doors. With reference to skilled workers, it's hard to get really good high-skilled workers at a reasonable price anywhere. It's not just in Malaysia, but anywhere in the world that you want highly skilled people, they are going to cost you. Try hiring me, for example. <laughs> cost you a fortune. With regard to international competition, it's facing everybody on the planet. So you've got to clearly define your niche market. Ensure you're the absolute best at what you do and provide incredible customer service. Incredible customer service is the real key to most people's success. If you really, and if you focus and follow those simple rules, I think you can win. Ahmed, thanks for your email and your question. A copy of Marketing Magic. Now, that's a book I wrote with Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad Levinson, Robert Bly, and a bunch of others. Um, that we'll send that off to you tomorrow. Don't forget, I want to hear from you. So visit my website at bobpritchard.com. Sign up for my newsletter. Email me, tweet me, and tell me what it is that you want me to talk about and who you want me to interview. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs, brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing, and Management. And remember... If you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. I'm Bob Pritchard on the Voice of America Business Network, and I hope you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.